Hey everyone, welcome back to the Hashrate Happy Hour podcast. This show is brought to you by Giga Energy, a leading electrical manufacturer focused on Bitcoin mining. And before we get into the intro today, I wanted to ask you guys for a huge favor. If you have not already subscribed to the show or given the show a rating and review, that would be hugely helpful for me. So if you could take just a second to go and do that, that would mean a lot. This Monday's release is the second episode in our brand new series that we are launching called the Energy in Bitcoin Mining Monthly News. We are going to have on industry thought leaders Colin Kelly, account manager at Luxor's ASIC Trading Desk, Wolfie Zhao, the founder and head of research at the Miner Mag, and Eric Neal, the director of energy planning at Digital Power Optimization, which you'll hear DPO for short throughout the episode. This format is going to be rolled out once a month on the last Monday of each month, where we'll be bringing you the hottest and most relevant news in the energy, Bitcoin mining, and infrastructure industries with the hopes that you guys can start to identify trends and stay up to date on the latest. This month was absolutely packed with things that we had to discuss. Colin kicks us off with a walkthrough of the brand new Luxor Logistics division that they just rolled out, where they are now able to help everybody manage their minor fleet when getting it from point A to point B. We also get into the absolute terror that the minor market has been on, and Colin and Wolfie actually talk through how they're starting to see a noticeable shift in the network hash rate away from the pubcos. Eric and I then start to riff on the litany of things going on in the energy industry, things like the new scale small modular reactor and all of the renewable projects lately that have been getting canceled on the East Coast. Again, there was a ton that we went through on this episode, so I hope that you guys enjoy this brand new segment of the Hashrate Happy Hour podcast, and please write in with topics, because next month we want to make sure that we're covering some things that you guys are interested in hearing about. This show is brought to you by Foreman, the leading miner management software where you can also manage and automate your curtailment strategy all from one clean dashboard. Whether you have three miners or 30,000 miners and a robust, complicated curtailment strategy in a regulated power market, you can manage all of that leveraging Foreman. Guys, I, I honestly don't think I'm doing this software justice just by talking about it. You really need to go give this a try for yourselves just to understand how easy it is to start and quickly find multiple miners all at once, configure them all at once, and then set up your automated prompts for ramp up and ramp down for the particular curtailment strategy that you have. Seriously, if I can do this, which, which I have, and I still use to this day, then all of you certainly can do this too. Go check them out and get started managing your miners like a pro today at foreman.mn. That's F-O-R-E-M-A-N dot M-N, Foreman dot M-N. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, the Texas Blockchain Council, a Bitcoin-first nonprofit industry organization working to make Texas the jurisdiction of choice for Bitcoin mining and blockchain innovation. They will be hosting North America's premier policy conference for Bitcoin and the digital asset ecosystem on November 15th through the 17th in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information, please visit their website at texasblockchaincouncil.org.
Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Like I said in the introduction, we are back for the November Energy and Bitcoin Mining Monthly News episode. And just to, to kind of reiterate and touch on, you know, the, the goal for this monthly show is really for us to bring you guys some of the hottest news, trends, updates in the energy, Bitcoin mining, and infrastructure industries so that you guys can start to identify trends and or, you know, maybe keep a pulse on the market. As always, I am here with Colin Kelly at Luxor, Wolfie Zhao at the Miner Mag, and Eric Neal at Digital Power Optimization, which you'll hear DPO for short throughout the the duration of the episode. I just want to make sure that you guys don't don't sit there the whole episode and say what is DPO. So, uh, guys, Colin, Eric, Wolfie, morning, evening. It's good to good to see you guys. Great to be here. Thanks ben. for having us. Yeah. Good morning. I want to kind of. Just before we get into some of the updates and, and topics for today, uh, Colin, I know I ran into you several times at the, the Texas Blockchain Council North American Blockchain Summit. It's a mouthful. The TBC NABS <laughs> for short. Eric, were you there by chance? And Wolfie, were you? No. I was not. No? Okay. Looking forward to hearing about it. Yeah, yeah. So Colin, I'd be curious. what uh, How was that event for you? It was incredible. Um, I think the TBC organization did a, a fantastic job of, of organizing the event and uh, having it in the backyard right here in Texas was um, was great for me. You know, short ride from Houston up there and uh, all the big players in the space came. So having two presidential candidates up on stage talking about Bitcoin, Bitcoin um, I don't think it gets any better than that. So it's I, I think it's a testament to how the space is evolving and uh you know people are forced to pay attention to us now and um it, it feels good yeah it i mean truly hats off to to lee bratcher he's you know supporter of the show and and sponsor for the show and i mean they just did a bang up job um yeah crazy to to look around <laughs> presidential candidates walking around it was it was a it was a pretty sweet event um so yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of a lot of interesting things going on around the event too. I ended up at a core scientific facility tour, which was was pretty spectacular. Colin, I think I saw you there for that too. I think yeah. I saw you like every day, multiple times. I was busy. I was busy, man. Yeah, we uh, actually sponsored the the uh, buses to those tours and and partnered with with CoreSci and also did a um, tour to the 360 mining um, gas site out there as well. So I think both of them were a hit. Um, all, all the buses were full. Uh, I think it was a great opportunity for people to get out there, see a, a, a real Bitcoin mine in person and just um, kind of take in what it um, what it takes to to build out these sites because they are a marvel of engineering. I mean, that Corsi site was um, was amazing. So, yeah, it, I think it was it was a really Really great time for everyone. Were there many like new faces, or what's what was the white vibe? Was it, or, or is it like the usual suspects mostly? Believe it or not, there was actually a bunch of new faces. Um, so I think it was a great opportunity for people that maybe hadn't ever seen Bitcoin mining in person to to get out there and check it out. 
what it takes to build out these sites, the power, the the engineering, and um, just the manpower that goes behind it. I think also at the the conference, though, Wolfie, I, you know, and this is I'm trying really hard to like pay extra attention to this going to these conferences. Um, you, you ask a really good question: was it was it all the same folks or was it <clears throat> was it new folks? I I feel I'm a little bit biased towards noticing. You know, like the the core scientific Saluna Argo was there. You know, so I, I feel feel like I'm a little biased to seeing the same groups, but it did feel, especially that first day, that there was a pretty substantial wave of new entrants. Um, had a lot of good conversations with folks who were looking at kind of their first mining project of some sorts. So, yeah. It's a it's a good question though, Wolfie. Um, a lot of the same big names there, but it's a good good healthy mix of new faces, new blood. So, guys, want to maybe kind of go from there and jump into maybe some of the the industry, you know, updates, topics. Uh, Colin, we started with you first last time. I don't know if you're, you know, wanting to go first again, but if you want to maybe kind of kick this kick this episode off with sure. launching into some of the infrastructure updates and and uh, go into all that? Absolutely, man. So um, Luxor had a big announcement yesterday. We kicked off our Luxor Freight Solutions. So um, what does that mean? Um, We're now offering like door-to-door shipping and global delivery. Um, And we really wanted to just roll it it all up into a, a, a service that can get your miners from anywhere in the world to where they need to be. We can help with um, customs clearance and consultation, import and export solutions, freight insurance and advisory services, um, and even on-site equipment inspection and deployment. So um, we've done a couple of things to prepare for this. One is we expanded our, our Montana warehouse to be able to hold more capacity. So offering kind of on-demand storage and, and some other services there. Um, so it's a big step forward for the Luxor team and excited to um, help others in the industry. It, it's kind of um, like you don't have to procure your mm-hmm. ASIC equipment from Luxor to use our shipping service. I, so it really opens up the door for for other uh, companies and brokers in the space that once, you know, one, a trusted counterparty, somebody they know that can can handle the workload and get things uh, done successfully. So that's kind of why we launched it. Um, we've sold um, over $235 million of, of uh, ASIC equipment and delivered those successfully all around the globe to 30 different countries. So really just ramping up um, our additional services. I, I think it's a, it's a great product for the space. So I'm really excited about that. And that kind of segues into what else is happening at Luxor. So um, let's talk about ASICs and what we're seeing in the ASIC market. Um, These last couple of months have um, demand has absolutely just skyrocketed. And personally, for me, I think, you know, we've been seeing ASIC prices downtrending for several months and I feel that the bottom is in and ASIC prices are back on the uptrend. So, All right. yeah. So some <laughs> big things happening there. So Luxor's RFQ cleared 3,800 ASICs in October, which was about 128% increase in volume from September. 
And now here we are in November, still got about 10 days left in the month, and we've seen 3x those numbers, clearing over an exahash of machines just in the month of November. So that's about 10,000 rigs, um, which is oh. just massive, massive numbers. So demand is really picking up, um, and vendors and OEM manufacturers have... Uh, noticed this trend. So we are seeing price increases across the entire ASIC market um, on new and used machines. So, um, I mean, the, the hottest machine right now on the market, everybody's talking about it, is the K-Pro. And um, what I'm finding is we are competing directly with Russia um, for ASICs. Um, I was working a couple of deals where we had locked in supply. We're waiting on a bank wire to clear. And a Russian group came in and bought up like over 5,000 K pros in the 24 hours previous waiting on that bank wire to clear. So it's it's getting pretty cutthroat out there. ASIC supply is dwindling. Um, and yeah. now we're waiting on Bitmain to release the next big batches of K pro and XP. So some interesting market dynamics playing out in the in the ASIC world. So do you guys I, think... Yeah, go ahead, Wolfie. Yeah, I was just wondering, like, last month I saw some... I saw the public mining data, and there was a, there was a thing I noticed, which was that the public miners' market share was kind of like the total market share kind of declined. Terms of like the total block, the the total Bitcoin they mined compared to like a couple months ago. So like it was a slight decline, like maybe like one two percent. But you know, I was wondering like maybe the hash rate over last month was coming from somewhere else. Interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, so I tend to. It, it's a global effort. Let me start with that. However, there are some bigger players that are deploying hash and plugging in faster than everybody else. So um, I got, had the opportunity to go to Dubai and visit the Blockchain Life Conference um, out there and just walking around, getting to know people, visiting different booths. And, and one thing I noticed is, wow, there's a lot of Russian companies here. And they were offering a whole spectrum of services, one being hosting, two being ASIC brokering and, and uh, also some mining pool stuff. So I got to talking to those guys a little bit. And I mean, the power pricing that they're getting is just absolutely insane. They're offering retail hosting prices, you know, for one, 10, 100 machines starting at five cents, which is several cents cheaper than anything that we really have retail side here in the U.S., um, so I think, you know, for me, it's, it's just more validation that, um, this is a global effort. It's, it's happening all around the world. We see, um, large deployments happening in central and South America, Russia, um, the UAE. So, um, yeah, that's, that's where global hash rate is coming from. Wow. Was it? Was it um, as far as like size of those orders? Do you happen to know like average quantity per order? I know I'm getting super granular on you, but I, I don't. Like, it, I think that yeah. would be some really interesting data. What I can tell you is that the Chinese brokers are now keeping spot inventory available in Moscow. And um, 
you know, they wouldn't take that risk unless there's large market demand to, to take that up. Because as you know, ASIC pricing is vol volatile. So holding any kind of spot stock, you're exposed to the market. But um, they're taking the time and the effort to send it over to Russia and keep it there for quick deployments. So that's that to me is, is a major sign that um, these these guys are just buying up his machines as fast as they can. Um, I don't know how they're getting their infrastructure online so rapidly, but it seems to be um, happening at an exponential rate. I mean, I can tell you, you know, walking around the conference, there were several hosting Russian hosters offering, you know, boasting sites of 20 mega megawatts online, expanding up to 100 megawatts in the next three months. So um, they have access to power. They're they're getting their infrastructure online and they're buying ASICs as fast as possible. Hmm. I feel like um, <laughs> I say this this little you know, tongue in cheek, this is kind of a joke, but I feel like everybody's got a hundred megawatt mining facility these days. Yeah. It gives <laughs> or, off 2021 you know, vibes, right? Everybody's like, I'll take 10 <laughs> megawatts. I'll take a hundred. Yeah. 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 No. Oh, wow. That's I, I appreciate that Colin. That's uh, I I'm, I'm excited to hear that from what you're seeing in the numbers um, very much. So a rush to the demand. Yeah. I'm, I'm also in interested in the infrastructure of it all. I wonder if they were just building quietly, you know, this last 12 months. And that's that's why they're able to slot machines so quick. Yeah, that that has to be the case, in my in my opinion. And one more big thing to, to hit on why uh, we're on the topic of the conference Um so MicroBT came out and announced their M60 series at the Blockchain Life Conference in Dubai. Um, this included the M60, M60S, the immersion miners, so M66, M66S, and also their new hydro line, M63 and the M63S. So here we are. We're stepping into the era of sub-20 joules per T efficiency machines. Um, things are getting bigger, more efficient. Um, and it's just, uh, no, no slowing down in sight. How about, uh, Aradine? I mean, they were pretty big, pretty big presence at the conference too. Did you get a chance to talk with those folks or you guys? Yeah. Yeah. To so, about, so yeah. we're, we're actively, uh, talking with them and, and trying to get our hands on some testing units. So I think, uh, we'll have some more data on that in the future. But um, I'm hearing great things, you know, and personally, I want USA Silicon to be a name in the race. I think we need it. Um, I think it would be great for for the mining space if if we had some USA companies that were competing with the top dogs, MicroBT and Bitmain. Yeah, I totally agree. Um so Wolfie, I, I'm not sure, you know, if, if you wanted to kind of jump in next and talk through maybe what you're seeing from, you know, just kind of the, the Bitcoin mining market from like a macro perspective or, or Eric, if you wanted to jump in next, but uh, Wolfie or Eric. Yeah. Well, I, I've got oh, a, yeah, before yeah. we jump yeah. topics, I've got a couple of questions for Colin. Um, <clears throat> coming back to your first topic about Luxor's freight solutions, you had mentioned deployment on the tail end of that supply chain. And I'm curious how far Luxor goes in the deployment piece. Sure. Um, 
really so the most experience we have is really with just unboxing and helping rack machines um we, you know we don't really get too involved with the infrastructure side of things but hey if you want to order a bunch of miners um i can come help plug them in for you is, is basically the service there so um but we're always growing expanding and in, in any way we can help out our customers we we find a way to do it Excellent. Thanks. Yeah, I have a whole host of questions and curiosity about the volume of infrastructure being deployed in Russia and the, the genesis of that. I don't know if that's a result of Russian capital being cut off from, you know, markets and this, you know, money has to be deployed somewhere and they're they're picking it up and maybe this is temporary in nature or is this more of a strategic play to expand their their presence? Um, in the Bitcoin ecosystem. I don't know. Do you have any additional insights that came out of Dubai as to why all this capital? In, yeah, in I think I think it's a combination of, of that. Um, one being, you know, there's a lot of wealthy people in Russia that may not be as confident in the ruble and Putin and, and um, everything that's happening over there. So they're looking for a flight to safety. And, you know, you can purchase machines with the ruble and get your Bitcoin out on the other side. So... I think a lot of uh, wealthy folks are looking at that as a way to diversify their their wealth, um, which is you know what we've seen in China before the the mining ban and in these other places where you you know you have a currency that might be struggling. So yeah, it's it's some interesting dynamics. I I wish I had some more insight, but that's I, I kind of just you know I can only. I can only take away what I saw at the conference. I haven't, I don't have boots on the ground over there. So not sure on all the details, but, but yeah. No, that's, that's helpful context. I, I like the way you described it, a flight to safety, um, you know, where this is viewed as stability. And I think that's, that speaks volumes to what Bitcoin can do on a, on a global scale. Yeah, if you just saw the uh, the the Phoenix Group, they they raised. I mean, they announced like the claim they the IPO was like crazily oversubscribed, like thirty three times, from oh. like a stronger demand from the retail investors. Um, I think their target was like about three seventy million dollars. Um, so that that definitely shows some interest there. And that was Finex? Yeah, Finex Group. And they're they're out of the UAE. So I think it's more yeah. market validation for, for that region. I think there are some, you know, I, I, I when I was in Dubai, I also got to visit Abu Dhabi. And um, it looks like most of the actual Bitcoin mining is happening in Abu Dhabi rather than Dubai. Dubai is more of like um, traditional not traditional finance, sorry, um, like exchanges, DeFi, Web3 kind of stuff. Um, where the machines are actually getting plugged in is in Abu Dhabi. And I think there are some st still some significant engineering challenges to overcome there um, to deal with the heat. Um, even though they are kind of leaning towards hydro and immersion deployments, you're still dealing with, you know, extremely high heats in in the summertime so i think they still have to some kinks to work out um on how to deal with that heat and survive the summer so it'll be interesting to see how these 
larger companies like Phoenix, Zero Two. I know Marathon's over there with a couple of big sites. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see the data that comes out throughout the summer uh, of their hash rate, their uptime, because um, like I said, yeah, it just gets so freaking hot over there. Hot and dusty. That's right. <laughs> which are, which is ASIC killers, you know. The heat, humidity, and dust are your biggest biggest uh, problems for an ASIC computer. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So Wolfie, I you mentioned that they oversubscribed by, and I, did you say thirty percent? Thirty. Is this said uh, thirty three times? So. Oh. That's crazy. Yeah, that was some crazy news. Um, but yeah. Well, I think I think that that's that does show some like strong interest for you know plugging in like interest in, in general like Bitcoin mining ecosystem, um, which is also reflected from the you know the the, the surge of hashery over the past months. Like it it was cons- it was relatively moderate compared to like september october um but still like it's it's kind of close to breaking through like 500 500 extra hash level for this for the seven day average so oh i mean on the broader level like the, most of the mi- public miners just released their q3 numbers right so i think on a broader level it's just like increase increases the the cost of bitcoin production for every almost like everybody um, unless you can, you manage to like subs- substantially increase your ha- your your fleet efficiency and your and your power rate, right? Otherwise, you have to really outrun the network growth in order to reduce your cost of Bitcoin production. And now we're getting to half. And so, I think on a broader level, it's just like making everybody's life harder than before, um, and it will be even harder uh, in the next like one two quarters. Um, so like most, I think most of the, most of the mining companies had like a single to double digit growth in terms of cost of mining, cost of Bitcoin production. I mean, that doesn't even include the, the corporate overhead and, and the interest mm-hmm. expenses, just, uh, just a, a cost of revenue. Um, only a handful of them managed to decrease that. Um, yeah. I think Argo, Argo was one of the few that actually... They actually had a pretty big decrease in cost of production. Yeah, did you Argo, did you dig into that one? Yeah, Argo Galaxy and and Riot. They 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 were all they all got a lot of you know, power crypto credits over the summer, and that helped a lot. So Galaxy and and I think Riot reported like negative cost of Bitcoin production on the book. So. It's like it's it, it, the credits was way more than enough to offset their energy bills for the cost for the for the Bitcoin mining segment. So, you know, I had a question yeah. like that: Does that mean that they maybe curtail too much? Like, like obvious. I, I don't know how much of the credit can be rolled over to the next quarter. So, if you can reuse it, then consider those credits unused. Doesn't that mean I like think, you curtail too yeah. much? I think that's a, a good Eric question. Eric, are you are you able to roll credits like that, or or how does that all function? I, I think you're outside of uh, the area I focus on. So unfortunately, Wolfie, I have no help on rolling credits forward. But 
curious to to dive into that a little bit more, maybe on the next episode. But that's that's basically the I think the the highest level. Um, And plus, some of the like interesting news happening these days are you know the core scientific getting out of their bankruptcy and and also Celsius Network they're gonna pivot to just Bitcoin mining. Um, That was funny because like they they just got their. Uh, chapter 11 bankruptcy rework plan approved on I think, mm-hmm. earlier this month and i think the plan was like uh they would distribute some of the liquid assets to the to the customers and then the illiquid asset will be by will be managed by fahrenheit ilc and that will include bitcoin money and also some other services i think it's, it was including staking um because the, there were some celsius loan portfolio asset but they that ran into some issues with the SEC, and now they're just complete, so kind of planning to change the change the the scope of the mm. of the new entity, which will only be focusing on Bitcoin mining. So that means relatively smaller fees paid to the 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 new the new entity and the managing uh, co- company, uh, just like reduced fee for for managing that. So, yeah, I think that's that's basically how the market recovery has been helping a lot of these companies that have been struggling. Um, Core is I think, is aiming to like come out of the bankruptcy like early January, like first two weeks of January. So they're yep. beating the time to get it, get 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 the get out of the bankruptcy and start to deploy like more more miners before the halving happens. And Wolfie, did you see, actually, this, this might've been your own article that, that I stumbled into like a day or two ago, but that, that core is actually planning to issue more shares to, to raise money kind of even amidst the, the exit yeah. from chapter 11. I think that's part of the plan, like $55 million equity raise. Um, and also they will, I think they will also issue some new uh, convertible notes to the existing uh, holders of the secure uh, of the secure convertible note claims because they had a bunch of uh, they issued two tranches of convertible notes in 2021, and the new issuance will be covering some of that. Mm. So yeah, they're gonna raise a little bit more equity. Gotcha. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I- I think in general, I think uh, over over October, another uh, trend I observed, uh, I kind of alluded to that previously, is the the kind of first the the public miners they sold more Bitcoin they mined uh, in in October. Uh, I think that was like a hundred, a little bit more than a hundred like ten percent of what they mined uh, October. So basically, reducing some of their reserves, um, just capturing some of the market, you know, rally. Throughout yep. October, so maybe that will continue this month because they obviously a lot of them have learned from you know the mistakes they made in 2021 by just you know blindly holding every Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I I laugh because I I, I always. I laughed when I saw that that was the strategy of just blindly hodling everything. Do you think, Wolfie, do you think we'll see maybe a little bit more of that happening as the price continues to kind of run up here? Um, 
I I think maybe, but I th- I do think after the 2022 like cycle, a lot of them have become more cautious about this strategy. Um, they they they're they're relatively, I mean, not so crazy about like borrowing leverage, you know, taking out loans to buy miners or holding their Bitcoin reserves. So a lot of them will use like combined of strategy, right? It's, just, it's 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 gonna be selling some Bitcoin, holding some Bitcoin, and then you bring some debt, bring some uh, equities, and you raise some debt. It's like you have to. I think they have been doing more, being more rational um, than twenty twenty one. So maybe we will see less of the holding into the next bull. And now a quick word from our sponsor. This show is powered by Giga Energy. Giga Energy is a vertically integrated Bitcoin mining company that manufactures all of the electrical infrastructure needed to start mining Bitcoin. Whether that's medium voltage switchgear, PDUs, or power cables for your miners, the team at Giga Energy has you covered. Reach out to their sales team today for all of your electrical infrastructure needs at sales at gigaenergy.com. Use the word hash rate for the subject of the email and you'll get 5% off your order. All right, now back to the show. I I I think so. I, I think that there's a couple companies that'll that'll be reluctant to admit it until you start to see it happen on their balance sheet. But I I don't know. I I overheard uh, Patrick Fleury, the the chief financial officer at Terra Wolf. He 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 basically said, "I'm I'm gonna you know call it what it is and." kind of call out the industry for their their hodling method and you know he he basically said no other traditional commodity you know company or or mining company has that type of a strategy and that it's kind of a silly strategy so yeah i don't know i it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens on this next bull run as as we kind of take off well if if you think you know bitcoin's going to the moon and you have capital to deploy, why would you build infrastructure? Why not just use all your money to buy Bitcoin? You know, if you, if you think it's going to, if you think price is going to skyrocket, exactly. aren't you going to get a much more massive return just buying Bitcoin as opposed to building infrastructure? Yeah. 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 It's the, the age old question. Do you buy Bitcoin or do you mine Bitcoin? <laughs> I think we're all, we're all firm believers in mining Bitcoin here. So it's, um, well, Eric, you you kind of segue into to your your segment, your chunk here as well. I, I wanted to also get you know a little bit of an update on on your end. There's been quite a bit going on in just the the traditional energy industry, so would would love to hear what you're seeing out there. Yeah, it's been it's been a pretty active month um, in terms of projects getting announced or canceled. Um, and you know, I pay attention to the, the North American markets more than anything else, maybe exclusively the North American markets. And, you know, there's, there's a, oh, decades long energy transition, right? We're kind of in a continual energy transition. It's just a matter of which phase, you know, right now it's renewable expansion, um, and transmission project expansion. And there were a couple big, a couple big blows to the energy transition, um, in the last month, one was uh, the project, the new scale small modular reactor or SMR project that was for me and a, and a, 
a lot of others giving hope to the rise, you know, of nuclear in this country. And small modular reactors seem to be the gateway to nuclear taking off again and, and providing some, you know, strong baseload power in the decades ahead. And the the project, their first, it was going to be their first commercial scale project. Uh, little, I think it was a little, it was about a half a gigawatt mm-hmm. project. Um, they pulled the plug on it. It was going to be constructed near Idaho, uh, or yeah, Idaho Falls. And, you know, that their, their stock price, you know, adjusted uh, accordingly to that news and hasn't really rebounded yet. So, but there's, their CEO is still making some pretty big claims that, you know, this, this industry isn't dead. This is just a setback. And I'd like to believe that because I'd like to see nuclear uh, come back to this country and, and provide some, some long-term stability to power supply. But, you know, the, the, the question mark around that is a little bigger today than it was a month ago. Um, and offshore wind is seeing, you know, a lot of concerning press. We had two big projects off the coast of New Jersey um, get canceled. A uh, big wind developer took a $4 billion write-off, you know, kind of walking away from those projects. So that was pretty big. Um, I don't know the details, but there's some stuff in Europe going on where I, uh, my understanding is they were struggling to get subscribers to the project. So there were a couple that got canceled out there. Um, New York, um, I think, was seeing the the rate impact of some of these offshore wind projects and put some I'll, I'll say they, they imposed some limits on power cost increases that could come from these projects. And that caused people to question whether or not some of the projects that we're going to supply power to New York um, are, are going to get the plug pulled. So, you know, that, that doesn't, there are always, you know, it's like two steps forward, one step back when you're going through an energy transition, mm-hmm. but those were some pretty big st- setbacks. Uh, yeah. And yeah, you got a question, Ben? Uh well, I, I was going to ask on the, the wind projects, were those, had those even started yet? Or was it just they, they, the plug got pulled on the, the funding for them? I, I, I mean, when, you, when you've spent $4 billion already, you know, you've likely oh. at least touched some yeah, infrastructure yeah. Yeah. at that point. But I mean, energy projects can have an extraordinary front end cost that's largely labor right? The, the, the permitting activity, the engineering activity, right? There's a tremendous amount of cost. And I, I don't see those offshore wind projects as anything less than an extraordinary engineering and construction effort. So I, I don't know the details on how much of that money was in labor versus material. But my suspicion is there was at least some material involved in that that they had to walk away from, but um, I'd have to look that up. So on the flip side, um, Texas approved um, in in proposition seven the Texas energy fund which included uh, and I'm not an expert on the topic but I understand it was around seven billion dollars in low interest loans that would fund resiliency projects aka natural gas projects and there's some debate on whether that's going to go into new projects or if that's going to be you know re- repurposing or refurbishing of existing gas projects but it sent a pretty strong signal that there's a resiliency issue that needs some dispatchable resources to address. And you can imagine, you know, the renewable industry is not thrilled about continued operation of fossil resources. Um, you know, and there's a, there's a debate to be had. I try not to take sides, but just recognize that, you know, the, the, the debate hasn't been settled on whether 
fossil resources are needed or not needed to maintain grid stability. Um, but the reality is for the Bitcoin ecosystem, that volatility, you know, that comes along with resiliency has produced some pretty meaningful revenues to loads that can respond to volatility. And, you know, talking to energy companies um, and entities that have capital to put to work in this space, the question mark around what's volatility going to be like, you know, in the coming years, is it going to be similar to prior years? And how does that get priced into your energy products? And are we, you know, seeing that as an opportunity or are we seeing that as a risk? And it depends on, do you have a fixed power price product where you can, you know, resell that power when you curtail and capture the upside or are you riding the market? And that volatility is a question mark about how much interruptibility I need to bake into my economics. So, you know, when you see, oh, I'd say unexpected changes in the pace at which the energy transition is going to occur and, and the, the, the dependence on some traditional dispatchable resources to get you through some of the, the challenging, you know, high demand periods, it, it makes it, I guess, exciting, but also a little, a little bit more difficult to, um, you know, build that, that confidence and certainty into your, your investments. So, you know, things are going to be moving forward, you know, on the, on the long time scale, right? This is just kind of part of managing, you know, energy supply long-term, but some of these short-term headlines, you know, create a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction with investors who are trying to understand, are my, you know, 30% returns going to shrink to 3% or are they going to grow to 60%, right? They, there's a big impact, you know, when the diversity of your energy supply is in question. Yeah. It's, um, I'd be curious to, to bring you all the way back to the new scale. I think just to, to maybe touch on that just a, a little bit longer. I thought that I read part of why that one fell through was they tried to get enough co-ops and municipals to take that power. Is that, and then they, they didn't yeah, they have had, enough of that happen. And then the, the power rate jumped rather substantially. And then it kind of unraveled from there. Is that what happened? Yeah. Early in the year, or maybe it was last year, but um, it's older news that there was a large increase in the project cost, call it round numbers. It was going to be 5 billion and it increased to 10, right? I don't think it was that, I don't think it was a double, but it was a, it was a large increase. Yeah. And, you know, part of that is, you know, this project's been going on for a while and inflation has had a large impact, you know, um, you know, the cost of building things has gone up appreciably. So is it necessarily, you know, specific to that project or is it just reflective of the industry and, and building things has become increasingly expensive over the last two and a half years. Um, but the last update, the last cost update they said was, you know, kind of in line with inflation, mm. you know, inflation adjusted, the cost hasn't changed, but your question about the subscription levels, my understanding is they had an arbitrary or, or maybe it was like a black and white line, but I, I feel like it was more of an arbitrary. We need about 80% of the offtake subscribed to in order for this project to advance through the next stage. And part of their announcement was we didn't have enough subscription. We didn't meet our threshold. That was that, were they at 79%? Probably not. Was it 50? Uh, maybe that, maybe those details are out there in the ether, but I, I don't have them in front of me. But 
obviously they, they didn't have confidence they were going to get enough um, offtake. You know, buyers, it's hard to find buyers for $100 megawatt hour power when there are alternatives available in the, you know, 40 to 60 range. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, you, you think a, a Bitcoin mining company would be pretty interested to step in. That's kind of immediately where my, my head goes, but I don't know. Do you think that that's just not even on, on new scales radar for a small modular reactor off taker? I, I think, you know, when we were talking to, when DPO was talking to um, renewable asset owners that are relying on um, federal tax credits, right? For, for wind, you know, it's production tax credits, um, solar, you know, PTCs and ITCs have a certain type of, of low cost of capital that come to the table to secure that portion of the project or, or essentially finance the portion of the project that is, I'm doing air quotes, guaranteed by the, the, the federal tax credits. And those investors need very low risk in their projects. So, you know, Bitcoin miners don't represent a 30-year offtake uh, counterparty to, to guarantee, you know, the, the power is going to be delivered in such a way that the production tax credits are going to be generated. So that's a long answer to say, I don't think Bitcoin projects in general are going to solve the issues that are presented by, you know, projects not having enough offtake because it's, it's not just having the offtake, it's, it's having a counterparty that can guarantee that revenue stream for an extended period of time. And my guess is those nuclear facilities were probably looking for probably at least a 30 year commitment is my guess. Oh, wow. Certainly no, nothing shorter than 20. That almost has to be like a a five, six halving cycles. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, Wolfie, go ahead. No, I was just saying that's 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 five, six, half in cycles. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> that's a it's a hard thing for a Bitcoin mining company to to kind of well, maybe not commit to, but yeah, I mean, Wolfie, I think what you're getting at is like the compression on revenue that far out gets really tough to to model out their business, right? Yeah, I mean, you don't even see like a lot of the mining companies will lease the land for like. 30 years i don't i don't i don't recall seeing that much kind of lease um maybe 10 20 years um yeah that's a pretty big commitment yeah it's i mean it's a huge commitment eric is that i don't know maybe is that like unusual for a project like this or because they almost have to target like a township right like Hey, you're you're a township. You guys are going to be here for thirty years, right? Or are there? I don't. Well, it could be. Yeah, I think like the oh, UAMPS um, was a counterparty working with them, and I forget what that stands for. Yeah, Utah Associated Municipal mm-hmm. Power Systems uh, was working with them on that project, and I, I believe the intent was to find subscribers in you know that municipal power space. I don't know if it was for all of the project or, you know, if they wanted a, a small percentage to be delivered to municipalities, but, you know, a, a municipality um, or a co-op or a, a regulated electric utility um, or a large, you know, uh, corporate entity like, uh, you know, the, the, the Googles and the Facebooks of the world that use a lot of power, right? They represent a balance sheet that can stand behind a long-term power supply agreement. Got it. 
and or, or maybe it's not a balance sheet, but it's, you know, if you're a government entity, the likelihood of you paying your bills is much better than, you know, somebody who, you know, doesn't have, you know, um, institutional grade investment rating. Mm. And, you know, you have to weigh that when, when you're look when you're, when you're deploying capital into a project and you're only expecting, you know, high single digit returns, there has to be near zero risk. And, you know, there aren't, there, there's a handful of, of energy consumers that fit that profile. That's interesting. Like, but how would, how would, uh, I'm just trying to, to get, get my head around, like the Terra Wolf does have, like they, they kind of turn a, a, um, a nuclear site into a Bitcoin mining facility by just using that part to mine Bitcoin. Is that a more, is that like, like a more doable like approach instead of investing in new nuclear sites? Absolutely. And that's kind of core to DPO's strategy of aligning Bitcoin mining infrastructure with energy headaches, right? If you have an existing nuclear facility that has a license to operate for a certain period of time, but it's congested, it's at a congested transmission node. And, you know, this facility is going to operate for the next 10 years or five years. And that's kind of a given. But, you know, 60, 70% of the hours, it's getting terrible energy prices in the market. Right now, you're not, you're not covering the cost, the incremental cost of, of the capital investment and the operating cost, but rather you're addressing an energy headache that is created by this nuclear facility not being dispatchable and injecting into a congested node. And you're putting some load there to soak up the power that's already being produced. And the net for the system is a very different threshold than building a new facility. Same thing with, you know, wind. When, when, when DPO works with energy companies to drop these facilities behind the meter at wind sites, uh, the, 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 the power agreement doesn't cover 100% of the capital and operating costs for that facility, but rather says, we're going to give you an incrementally better um, value proposition than what you have on the table today. Your ability to deliver this power to a higher value market it, it, it only comes, you know, two ways. One is you build a transmission line to that new market, which no project can support that kind of investment on its own. Um, or uh, you put a load behind the meter that can soak up that power at a, at a more more lucrative, uh, you know, payday at the end of the day. And, you know, in some cases, if you structure those energy contracts to to have little to no risk for the energy asset owner, it's kind of a no-brainer. It's a win-win. It's like, well, if if I do this and I and I deliver this power to this load on site, I'm going to be better off than I am today, and I don't have to worry about the balance sheet of this counterparty because if they don't perform, I'm just back to where I started. Sure. Yeah, I think Wolfie, you're you're asking a good question, which is like, I think you know, Bitcoin mining would be better suited to target existing infrastructure that may not have a, a good power price. And so they, you know, Bitcoin mining can come in as like a backstop to, to guarantee three cent, four cent power versus, you know, them going negative on their power. Um, mm. Makes sense. Yeah. We're talking to one renewable energy company with a wind project and uh, uh, in, in 
I'll say one of the southern states to try and you know <laughs> remain sensitive to to yep you know energy companies not wanting to talk about uh, their activity in the Bitcoin mining exploration and and for the last couple of months their 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 average net revenue from this wind project has been zero oh <laughs> zero now granted now they're still they're still producing the production tax credits but on the delivery of power merchant um into spp the 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 average lmp they've captured over the last couple of months has been zero that's brutal. so i mean you, you if you can capture you know a floor of 10 bucks right you're infinitely better than zero so you know putting these these projects behind the meter you know in in regulated markets it's more difficult you know, it's not Texas is is great because you can just kind of slide in behind the meter. You you bring a renewable um, energy provider to the table, and you you know slide a couple dollars a megawatt hour in for them, and you're off to the races, and and you're delivering power behind the meter. You go you go outside of these deregulated markets, and it's a little harder um, to bring that retail energy provider to the table because the the, the guys that are producing the power need to remain wholesale. Um, providers and, and not participate in the retail transaction, hmm. and that's that's doable, but it's harder when you're in a in a regulated market. Hmm. Eric, I have kind of a as I'm hearing you say all of this and the the different opportunities that might lay around out there at these renewable, you know, wind generators. I know solar similarly has you know some congestion problems also in certain pockets it, i mean is there like a, a zillow.com for uh energy pockets like is there like a, a a fun app or a marketplace where like a wind generator can go drop you know hey i've got 10 megawatts of load that i'd be happy to take an off taker uh, is there anything like that out there you know, DPO has talked to so many energy companies over the last two years. That's a good idea. Maybe we should create <laughs> the Zillow app for because I mean, there's. I, I tell you what, the the type of energy contract in place with these energy assets is as important mm -hmm. as the 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 LMPs that they're capturing, right? Because some projects have relatively little, if not any. Um, flexibility on what they can do with the power. It might be all wrapped up in a PPA that they really can't get out of, or they don't want to open up. You know, if if you're building, say, 20 megawatts of Bitcoin mining behind a 200 megawatt wind asset, are you really going to open up a 200 megawatt PPA to the risk of renegotiation to get value out of the first 20 megawatts? You know, and in some cases, that's a really good idea because the upside is so high for those 20 mm -hmm. megawatts of, uh, of Bitcoin mining. But again, you you enter that space of, well, there are tax equity investors that are tied up in that PPA, right? And do we really want to upset that apple cart, um, you know, and subject the the whole project to concerns about, you know, Bitcoin mining being being part of the counterparty? So my, my point is, it's probably easy to come up with a map of LMPs. You know, and say, well, this region has pretty pretty suppressed pricing. I think that's you know, for the most part, publicly available if you spend the time to to put it together, uh, or subscribe to services. Right, there are LMP contour maps mm -hmm. that are out there. You know, um, but the, the harder part is 
which of those projects are actually open for business and under what contractual circumstances. Food for thought. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Like I said, I was just kind of kicking that around as I was hearing you talk about what uh, potential availabilities are out there. Um, well, guys, I I really appreciate the updates here. And just to, to keep a tab on time, Wolfie, I know it's uh, we're getting deep into the night for you and uh, the the other three of us. It's it's still pretty bright and early working through coffee. Did you guys have any anything else you wanted to maybe kick around before we we sign off here? I think we covered the spectrum we did. today, man. I think we did. There was quite a bit to cover too. It's uh, everything from Aradine and and just the sheer volume going through Colin and and the Luxor trading desk and Wolfie with the the bankruptcy updates and you know what we're seeing on the cost of production, especially as we kind of end the year here. And Eric, I think you and I could probably geek out over power for a whole nother hour after this. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know, guys. If I, yeah. I think so, I, I don't know. I don't know if you hear this Siberian Husky <laughs> trying to join the conversation with me right behind me, but he's been, he's had a lot to say too. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. He, he may actually make it into the episode. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll see what the, what editing tricks we can do, but ah, he's, he's been contributing nicely as well. <laughs> um, well, awesome guys. I, as always appreciate your time. Uh, I think we, we just dropped a bunch on the audience for, for them to kind of, chew on and think about and um you know if you guys want to go around and and give a quick handoff you know want to make sure that you know people can always get in touch with you guys outside of the show as well so colin if you want to kind of go around the horn again and how can people get in touch with you and luxor sure yeah um so again colin kelly with luxor at the uh asic trading desk um I'm always on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to reach me. Feel free to shoot me a DM. I'm happy to jump on the phone or answer any questions anybody has. So yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best way to get a hold of me. Yep, yeah, same here. Uh, for DPO more broadly, I'd say info at Digital Power Optimization is a general inbox. You can throw some some questions and curiosity toward. Um, if you're looking to connect with me specifically, hit me up on LinkedIn and I'll try and be responsive. Yeah, me too. Except that we have been writing a lot of news these days on the minor Mac. So if you guys have any tips, scoops, just send us send our way. Um, just, just news at the minor Awesome guys. Thank you so much again. Uh, until next time, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Thanks, Ben. Here. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, Ben.